Hello, and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello, Booster Greg here. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. We are so excited about today's episode because yes. it is one of our favorites. I know it is one of yours too. We've mm-hmm. had so many people write in about this episode, the Firebending Masters. But before we jump into the episode, we do have some more five-star reviews to read. Yes. The first one is coming in from Lemur Lord. And they write, (laughs) more like Avatar, the last podcast I'll ever need. Hold on. I can read that a little better. More like like Avatar, the last podcast I'll ever need. Put a little, little Greg flair on that for you. The only podcast I need in my life. I needed to further my Avatar obsession. And this podcast is my fix. Booster feeds my addiction of IMDBing voice actors and Acorn's research on the small details are always so interesting. Even after watching the full series about six times now, they still surprise me with what they find. I have two episodes until I'm caught up with the podcast episodes. I will be impatiently, patiently waiting for the next <laughs> episodes. That's funny. Impatiently, patiently. I'm going to start using that. Keep up the awesome work. Flamio Hotman. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Lemur Lord. I love your name too. Yes, that's so funny. I just picture um, Momo with the crown just being like, Mm it's funny. (laughs) That's that's my Lemur sound, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Thank you. The next Steve Bradley Baker, everyone. Yeah. You know, I'll sign some autographs maybe if everyone's good and and behaves and all that. And just, (laughs) just kidding. Our next review comes from Rome's. Oh, and Rome's writes, awesome. Great show, guys. I can't go a day without listening to you. I started late in book three, but I've quickly caught up within two weeks. It's so worth it. By the way, in regards to Azula's blue fire, I've always believed that it has been pure fire. Red fire has been mixed with other chemicals. Ever noticed a torch flame burning blue, but then turns red when it touches something else? I think everyone has a theory about Azula's blue fire. (laughs) Me too. We've actually had, gosh, what, like, Four theories at this point. And we did cover that on an Avatar episode. Yeah. We've had the pureness of the fire, the salt, her perfect form and dedication being like that being, it's a little different than being like pure fire. It was just something about like her fire specifically. And there's more, I just can't remember, but those are the main ones that always like stuck out to me. I think the answer might be a little more direct than what we're all thinking. And I think they just needed blue fire so that whenever she fought her brother, you could tell the difference between whose attacks are whose. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're over here theorizing and, and more than likely. And I, I think the creators have said this before. They just thought it was cool. Yeah, they, they said that in the uh, in the first time. I don't remember the episode name and everyone's just going to throw tomatoes at my head. And that's fine. And I'll make a salad out of them or something. But it was when they had that old fashioned showdown between Azula and Aang. In that yeah. episode's commentary, they were just like, we just think it looks cool. It is like the chase. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you, Romes, for for writing in and listening to our yes, voices for you. two weeks straight. That's a lot. <laughs> that's insane. So absurd amount. The next review comes from Hailstorm nine eight three six, and they write, "Absolutely love this podcast," <laughs> and I love that pun. Well done. Sorry for that terrible pun. Never apologize for a pun. They're never yeah. terrible. They're only. Always awesome. But I just love this podcast so much. I have been an Avatar The Last Airbender fan since I was a little kid and the TV series was practically the only thing I watched during quarantine. I stumbled upon this podcast whilst searching for something to entertain me at work. I now look forward to new episodes every week. My favorite aspect would be the in-depth research that goes into casting and design and so much more. Their headcanons are pretty fun too. Question. Yeah. If you could have any character from the Avatar universe teach you their special skill, Gyatso and airbending or his famous fruit pies, if you wish, May and knife throwing, etc., who would you choose and why? I would choose Ty Lee and her chi blocking skills because I think she would make a great teacher and has such a unique skill to offer that would give me an advantage over any bender. Thank you, Booster Greg and Acorn, for this amazing content. What do you think? Oh, my gosh. I, I know what yours is. 
What's mine? You would love to learn the skill of holding a piece of straw in your mouth while Uh, fighting a bunch, a camp of firebending soldiers. Oh man, it would be so cool. I'd be the coolest guy (laughs) since You'd be the cool guy. I'd be the cool guy and that would be it. I know what yours would be. Oh, yes. Yours would be, um, how can I put this into a skill name or trade set? I think you would just want to hang out in the, the sunken library. That's what you want to do. So maybe the ability oh. to absorb all that information like Wan Shitong, or maybe literally anything that Wan Shitong has to teach you, I think you would want. You are not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Uh, caveat being, yeah. if I could talk with Wan Shitong about mm. the things that I learned, because doing that in isolation, yeah. you alone in a library, learning everything the world has to offer, that'd be very lonely. You'd I'd be, want to talk with someone about it. You'd go crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go crazy. Yep. If they're pressing me for a very specific thing, I bet, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet you would love to learn the official Southern Water Tribe bending style. (gasps) Yes. And I could practice with one Cheetah. Yes. Yes. Well, (laughs) there you go. Hailstorm9836. Thank you so much for writing. And we super appreciate it. And the five-star review. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Remember, as always, if you want your five-star review read, live slash pre-recorded on the show, then leave a five-star written review. Because as I always say, or as a wise man once said on Avatar the Podcast, if you don't write it, we can't read it. <laughs> that wise man was uh, Iroh, right? Yes, 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 indeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that guy, Iroh. You must look in yourself to know yourself, to distinguish yourself <laughs> from another self. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you everyone so much for those reviews. Thank you. Let us now jump into today's episode. Yes. Today we're going to be talking about book three, episode 13, The Firebending Masters, or as we like to call it, Double and Daring Deadly Dancing Dragons. (laughs) How's that alliteration for you? I can't believe I did that in one take. I'm super impressed. (laughs) That's the only (laughs) thing that I'll be able to do in one take from here on out. Sorry, Rob. Yep. That was it. You peaked. Yep. That's it. I'm done. This episode was written by John O'Brien and directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The episode begins in the Western Air Temple with Aang's first firebending lesson. He and Zuko stand on the wide, flat balcony of one of the tiered temple pagodas. Zuko tells Aang that there's nothing to be afraid of. Firebending in and of itself is nothing to fear. Aang sighs upon hearing this, still nervous about the lesson, but says okay. Zuko instructs him to firebend any amount of fire that he can make. Aang takes a few deep breaths and thrusts his arm out in a firebending stance, but only a small puff of smoke comes out. Maybe I need more instruction, Aang says sheepishly. He recommends a demonstration and Zuko agrees. The prince centers himself and performs a solid firebending movement and out comes a very small flame. Aang claps politely in the background while Zuko (laughs) steps back, shocked and confused. What was that? That was the worst firebending I've ever seen, he says. He tries more movements, each producing small, wimpy flames. Aang suggests that maybe the altitude is affecting his bending, and Zuko agrees with the suggestion, but still looks worried. I love that Aang's like, I don't know, I thought it looked nice. (laughs) Like just He's so nice. (laughs) Don't be condescending to me. So polite. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And like, what a moment for Zuko, right? He has prided himself on his ability to firebend. He has spent so many hours practicing and training with Iroh on the ship and in their travels. And it's one of the things that he's probably the most good at. Mm -hmm. That and his broadswords, it's like that is who Zuko is, aside from his honor. Yeah. And here he finally has come to a decision. He's made his peace. He's like, all right, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And then the one thing he has always been able to rely on fails him. How unnerving would that be? Yeah. Like, I forgot a lot about this episode. Book three for me is almost a brand new experience right now. There are a couple things Mm -hmm. that I do do remember, but this episode I didn't remember too well. So I was like, maybe it is the altitude. They both can't firebend. And I know that (laughs) Aang can firebend because he burned the heck out of Katara back in book one. And I was like, maybe that is it. And then I was like, no, it wasn't it. But still, you know, like it's very interesting to see that after all of this groveling and being like, I can teach the Avatar firebending like you want me. And now he can't even do it himself. <laughs> hmm. Big oof. Yeah. Now preoccupied with his own firebending, Zuko spends the rest of the afternoon trying to figure out why his bending isn't what it used to be. 
He loses his temper when a bored Aang tries to helpfully tell him one of his blasts felt kind of hot. <laughs> Don't patronize me. You know what it's supposed to look like, Zuko yells. We then learn that Aang has been calling him Sifu Hotman, which Zuko also can't stand. Sokka interrupts them when he saunters over, snacking on an apple. Hey, jerks. Mind if I watch you two jerks do your jerk bending? <laughs> jerk bending. Zuko <laughs> yells at him to go away, and Sokka does, chuckling to himself about his jerk bending joke. I laugh so hard every time oh I watch that joke. I watched the episode like four or five times. And it's just, I was like, <laughs> jerk bending. <laughs> just so good. Of course you did. The delivery was perfect. The animation was surprisingly good on on Sokka, or maybe that's just me really hyper-focusing on Sokka because we don't <laughs> get a lot of them in this episode. But it was just like the perfect like seasoning on this moment for me. You would say that. I am 0% surprised. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that night during dinner, Zuko addresses the group with a special announcement. He's lost his stuff. Toph immediately throws her hands in the air. Don't look at me. I didn't touch your stuff. <laughs> I love it. That so one made me laugh. So good. I didn't touch it. It wasn't me. Do you think that Toph actually went through his things? Either that or she has gone through someone's things before and has been caught. Oh. So now it's like, okay, not me. I didn't do that again. Yeah. Which is interesting because we haven't seen Toph rummage through anything. If anyone was to rummage, it would be Katara. She's the rummager. She is. As we saw back in the, the Runaway episode where Katara found the Wanted poster. So that was being hidden from her. So it was very interesting. But I think, I do think with that reaction, that Toph was the one rummaging through. I think she did rummage through his things <laughs> a little bit. Curiosity maybe got the better of her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Zuko clarifies that he's talking about his firebending. For some reason, it's gone. Katara cackles into the silence. I'm sorry, she says. I'm just laughing at the irony. You know, how it would have been nice for us if you lost your firebending a long time ago. Zuko tells her it's not lost. It's just weaker for some reason. Maybe you're just not as good as you think you are, she says with a glare. After a moment, Zuko suggests that maybe it's because he changed sides. Aang agrees that could be the reason. Maybe his firebending comes from rage and he just doesn't have that anger to feel it like he used to. Hearing this, Sokka comes to the conclusion that all they have to do is make Zuko angry. He begins jabbing the prince with Aang's glider until Zuko yells at him to stop. This is one of those things that I severely dislike about this trope of like, oh, the enemy joins the allies and now they're all supposed to be friends. But there's that one friend who just is, keeps on pressing the former enemy's mm. buttons. And I'm like, you're going to make them turn evil if you keep this up. It's like a, almost a <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy. And I was just yeah. very annoyed. I understand why she's being this way, but I was very annoyed at her. Yeah, because you're like, don't poke the bear. Yeah, he's a nice bear, bear right now. He's sleeping. He's a good bear. I don't know. Maybe just <laughs> yeah, I know. It's um, it's another way to to build conflict. And I think really the biggest reason is because it directly feeds into her episode, which we're going to see very soon, where she and Zuko finally get past it together. So you kind of need to build up. You need to apply that pressure to make yeah. it satisfying later on. But yes, I totally understand where you're coming from. Look, even if you're right, I don't want to rely on hate and anger anymore. There has to be another way, Zuko says. Toph tells him he needs to learn how to draw his firebending from a different source, the original source. Sokka makes a joke about jumping into a volcano, but Toph goes on to explain that Zuko will need to go back to the original source of firebending. Foreshadowing. Yep. About the jumping into a volcano is what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. <laughs> yes, actually. Yeah. yeah. For earthbending, the original benders were badger moles. Toph tells a story of how when she was a little girl, she ran away and hid in a cave. And that was where she met the badger moles. They were blind, just like she was. They taught her earthbending as an extension of her senses, not just as a martial art. Because for them, earthbending was their way of interacting with the world. Eng shares that even though he learned airbending from the monks, the original airbenders were the sky bison. Well, this doesn't help me, Zuko says. The original firebenders were the dragons, and they're extinct. But maybe there's another way. The first people to learn from the dragons were the ancient sun warriors. Zuko goes on to explain that even though they've been dead for thousands of years, maybe he can learn something about firebending from the ruins of their civilization. It's not like they have much of a choice because if Zuko can't find a way to firebend, Aang will have to find a new teacher. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. But they just got this one and Toph had her feet burned trying to find this one. <laughs> Toph also vouched for him. Yeah, that's true. Aang and Zuko travel on Appa to the remote island of the Sun Warriors. 
They fly over extensive stone ruins, many of the buildings destroyed or crumbling and covered in vines. A large ziggurat looms in the center of the city. They land and Zuko and Aang set off on foot. Zuko remarks about how familiar the buildings are and can tell that the Fire Sage's temples were somehow descended from these. This was kind of interesting for me because so far we haven't seen too much of like, I don't know, like a mix of different cultures before. Like we've always, at least I've always considered the Fire Nation to be more uh, like Japanese descent more or Japanese based mm-hmm. than anything. And here we are. Here we are with like the Sun Warrior Temple, which is supposed to be like the ancient firebenders essentially, learned directly from the dragons, and they look like Aztec architecture and Inca mm-hmm. and Mayan like all those cultures. And I was like, that's a very interesting thing to kind of adapt into for this nation anyways. Yeah, I thought so too. It's um in a way Nice to see them expand the world even further outside of just Asian influence. And when you think about it, there is going to be some element of ancient cultures involved. And when you maybe are firebenders settling this area a long, long time ago, that culture is going to influence the landscape differently. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a different way of building their houses and their buildings and things like that. So yeah, it's, I think ultimately it's cool, especially because they are so removed from the rest of the world. You know, they're living in secret here. Yeah. Um, But yes, you're right. The culture of the Sun Warriors is primarily based on civilizations from that ancient pre-Columbian Mesoamerica Uh, including the Aztec, the Incan, and Mayan empires. And the designers specifically looked at Mayan ruins for inspiration. I don't often pick up these wonderful cultural things, but when I do, personally me, (laughs) it's like they're beating me over the head with it with a hammer. And I'm like, is that a Mayan pyramid thing? And they're just like, yes, Greg, it is. Just like, just notice it. And I'm like, oh, great, great. It's very much like right out of a textbook. Yeah. Like super iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I've studied almost that exact architecture in like high school. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> As they walk, Aang snags a tripwire and a bed of spikes rises from the ground in front of him. He saves himself by airbending into a flip and lands on the other side. Zuko believes the booby trap is centuries old and is impressed that it still works. He wall runs to the other side of the trap to join Aang and they continue on. Show off. That's what I feel like. <laughs> Show off. With your cool parkour a little bit. moves. <laughs> <laughs> parkour. Yeah. <laughs> Office reference, if none of you yeah. caught that. Yeah, these traps, though, that are used by the Sun Warriors also resemble some traps that were used by the Mayans. So some of that influence and inspiration is continuing through with this. Mm-hmm. When they reach the top of the ziggurat, they find a sprawling relief carving depicting a Sun Warrior engulfed in dragon fire. Aang says... This seems promising, though I'm not sure what this tells us about the original source of firebending. Zuko comments that the dragons, who are supposed to be friends with the Sun Warriors, look pretty angry. Aang remembers what Zuko said about the dragons disappearing in the last hundred years and asks the prince what happened. My great-grandfather Sozin happened, Zuko responds. He tells Aang about how Sozin began the tradition of hunting dragons for glory. Since dragons are the ultimate firebenders, the reasoning went that if you could conquer one, your firebending talents would become legendary and you'd earn the honorary title, dragon. The last great dragon was conquered long before I was born, Zuko says, by my uncle. Aang is shocked to hear this and says he thought Zuko's uncle was good? Zuko explains that Iroh had a complicated past and after a moment adds that it must be a family tradition. It is just like so heartbreaking for me. When he was like, yeah, my uncle killed the last dragon. And it's just like, no, Iroh, I loved you. I trusted I you. You were supposed to be the chosen one. You were meant to bring balance to the Avatar state, not leave it in ruin. <laughs> exactly. I know. Ugh. It's actually, we've. this is not the first time we've heard about Uncle Iroh's past. We know yeah. that he lay siege to Ba Sing Se. We know that he served in the military, was a very high-ranking official. He wasn't always the uncle that we know and love. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to be reminded directly of that. Like, yes, uncle supposedly killed this majestic, beautiful creature who is the source of all firebending in the world. It's like that goes so against who he is. Yeah, who he is now. But oftentimes Mm -hmm. who someone was doesn't necessarily mean that that person is still in that kind of mental state. 
Just because yeah. yourself isn't like your older self doesn't mean your current <laughs> self can't be a better self. Oh my God. <laughs> indeed, Greg. Yes, indeed. yes, yes, yes. You can put that on a fortune cookie or whatever if you want. You know, put it in like a... Oh my a, God. Like, like, like a, a book collection of wise sayings. So feel free. And just throw it a Coffee table book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The best yep. sayings. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Small note about the dragon. Zuko tells us in this scene that his great-grandfather Sozin was the reason for the extinction of the dragons. If we remember, there was actually a flashback to him on the throne. And behind him on the wall, there was a giant golden dragon sculpture. That is very much iconic to who Sozin was. He mm. was the conqueror of the dragons. And so that was part of the throne room decoration. Sozin. Can't live yeah, with real him. Real stand-up Can't guy. Can't live without him. Yeah, I want to do a piece of work, that guy. I want to say something else, <laughs> but I won't. I know we have children listening, but man, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Aang and Zuko move on past crumbling dragon statues to find two sealed golden doors in a grandly carved wall. Aang tries to open the doors, but they don't budge. Zuko notices a tall gem-topped pillar behind them and markings on the ground in front of the doors and realizes it's a celestial calendar, like the Fire Sage temples. He sees a sunstone resting in the wall and muses that it must open the doors when the sunlight hits it at just the right angle on the solstice. Monkey feathers, the solstice again? We can't wait here that long, Aang says. I just, I love the monkey feathers. <laughs> yeah, that's really just good. Gotta pause real quick and give that some love. <laughs> oh, monkey start feathers. Start interpreting that. So yeah. <laughs> no, we can't, Zuko replies, but we might be able to speed time up. He unsheathes his sword and uses it to reflect light from the pillar to the sunstone. It glows and the doors open. You know, Zuko, I don't care what everyone says about you. You're pretty smart. Zuko smiles for a few seconds and then stops when the meaning of Aang's words hit him. He's like, thanks. Wait a minute. <laughs> also, that idea was a very like Sokka adjacent idea. Like I can imagine Sokka doing something like that. I was very impressed. On the other hand, why didn't Aang just earthbend the door open? My guess is they're metal. Or earthbend a new door through the the whole pyramid cannot be metal. Okay. I no, that's a good point. That. Because <laughs> that's a good point. Shh, stop reading the plot. <laughs> Sorry. That was like the first time I watched the episode. I was like, you could just, and then you just like, you know, do the whole, I'm doing hand movements that no one can see. But, you know, the moral of the yeah. story is just earthbend. It would have been so much easier. Yeah. I'm going to make that same comment in like two minutes, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Based on the look of the doors, I imagine them being either solid gold or some kind of metal, which is maybe on that like, some sort of system involving yeah. the sunstone. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. <laughs> to the left or to the right of the door, he yeah. could have totally just earthbended a uh, a new doorway. Yeah. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> We're going to focus on Zuko's ingenuity because yes, that yes. is actually kind of a foreshadowing to our next two episodes. Yeah. Your comment about how that was a very Sokka-like thing to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to come back to that. Okay. They enter a large room lit by the open doors and light through a square metal grate in the ceiling. A ring of sun warrior statues surround an ornate sun mosaic on the floor. Aang and Zuko wander in and Aang finds an inscription that says the statues depict something called the dancing dragon. He mimics the first statue's stance and a tile depresses into the floor. Realizing what it must mean, he tells Zuko to dance with him, which Zuko does not mm -mm. immediately care to do. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> but Aang convinces him. They take their positions on either side of the mirrored circle of statues and begin the series of stances, shifting from one to the other along the tiles in the floor. These aren't dance moves, Aang says. These statues are giving us a lesson. I think this is some kind of sun warrior firebending form. They complete the dance and a pillar rises out of the floor from the center of the sun mosaic. On it is a golden egg. Zuko walks over to it and even though Aang warns him not to touch it because it could be a booby trap like the spikes outside, Zuko picks up the egg. It feels almost alive, Zuko says. First of all, my first thought, the dragon dancing is mm -hmm. super reminiscent of the fusion dance from Dragon Ball Z. Yes. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Um, specifically the final pose, right? Yes. Yeah. And then I was half expecting them to be surrounded in bright light. And then all of a sudden, like Zoom or Anko <laughs> shows up for 30 minutes. But yep. <laughs> I did find that the entire dancing dragon form does bear a resemblance to the real life. Long Ying Mo Kui, 
which is the traditional Southern Dragon Kung Fu style, which is really cool. Mm, I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, I know you caught this, yeah, but yeah. the whole concept with the pillar, let's talk about that. What does that remind us of? A little Indiana Jones, maybe? <laughs> a little huh? Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love whenever you get a little Indiana Jones reference into something that you never expected to see an Indiana Jones reference in. Like, that was so iconic. All he needed just to like really, I think, reinforce this reference or this Easter egg which is funny because it's a little fire egg that they get would be just like maybe Aang says, well, maybe we should get like a bag of sand or something that weighs roughly about the same weight as the <laughs> egg. That would have been like just the the cherry on top for me perfectly. That would have really pushed the reference. Yes, yes. And if anyone yep. doesn't know, it's the iconic scene where uh, Indiana Jones has a bag of sand that he thinks weighs exactly what the treasure he's seeking weighs. And he does the little like, dance where he like mocks picks up the artifact and then it actually does the swap and it was too bad and it ends with a giant boulder rolling at him mm-hmm. little swaparoo gone bad iconic and if listeners out there have not seen this because maybe they're a little too young and you're listening with your parents i'm gonna say this shame on you parents go let them watch indiana jones right now from me it's a classic new father <laughs> who knows nothing what he's talking about right now go let him watch indiana jones it's amazing mm-hmm Suddenly, a geyser of viscous slime erupts out from the pedestal and flings Zuko into the air. He hits the grate in the ceiling and sticks in place. Aang leaps and dodges throughout the room to avoid the goo and bends an air blast at Zuko, trying to get him down. It does nothing to dislodge him. He just flips over and sticks again. (laughs) It's so funny, too. It is. (laughs) Aang jumps up to the grate and holds onto the bars next to Zuko. The goo rises and finally seals them in place with their faces poking out through the grate. At least we have air, Zuko says. So Zuko goes from having quite a, let's call it sharp idea. Maybe it was one of his brightest. There you go. There's two puns for you. I think I missed him. Yes, again. (laughs) And he really just got themselves into this sticky situation. And there's your third one. You're welcome. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Something that that strikes me about this version of Zuko, he's very much a glass half full type of person now. I don't think it's a glass half full. I think it's more of a, he's trying to downplay how much he messed up. Okay. Yeah. That's how I kind of read it as. But like, I like your interpretation a lot more because before he would be glass half empty and it really does kind of show like the shift in his own personal jing going from negative to maybe neutral now into a more positive. Like it's showing that gradient, which is really nice. Yeah. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like, I'm going to make that my headcanon. But when I was watching it, my actual thought process was like, a he's messing up so bad in front of like the avatar, someone who he begged and pleaded to be included in, in this group. And really the first mission he goes out with Ang with is like not going well. <laughs> It's going, yeah. and it's mostly his fault. So he's probably just like, a, this isn't so bad. We have air. See, it didn't mess up so bad. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, nothing has changed by that evening. Mm-mm. Aang and Zuko are still stuck under the grate of the magical egg room held in place with goo. You just had to pick up the glowing egg, didn't you? Aang asks Zuko. At least I made something happen. If it were up to you, we'd never have made it past the courtyard. Zuko replies. Aang yells for help, boosting his voice with airbending, and Zuko asks him who he's yelling to. Nobody has lived there for centuries. Well, what do you think we should do? Aang asks. Zuko ponders this for a moment and then says, think about our place in the universe? Aang sighs. (laughs) (laughs) At that moment, a man appears above them who looks astonishingly like a sun warrior. I love how before any sort of existential dread can kick in, (laughs) the... The sun warriors show up. Right? Yeah, we're, we're kind of taking a turn there. <laughs> yeah. Saying, let's let's ponder our existence in the universe and our uh, eventual demise while we're stuck here. Do you think that like thought process was influenced by Iroh? Probably. That's what I, I like to think. It's like, he's like, well, what would Iroh do? What would my uncle do in this situation? Like, well, we're just going to ponder our place in the world, in the universe. Considering the fact that Four Seasons is one of Iroh's favorite songs. Yeah. I think it's likely. Yeah. The man frees Aang and Zuko and takes them back to the celestial calendar in front of the dancing dragon room where aardvark sloths lick the slime from their bodies with long pink tongues. More sun warriors have arrived and stand with the first man, the sun warrior chief. For trying to take our sunstone, you must be severely punished, 
the chief proclaims. Zuko explains that they didn't come for the sunstone, they're looking for the ancient origin of all firebending. Aang introduces himself as the Avatar, and Zuko identifies himself as the crown prince of the Fire Nation. He tells the Sun Warriors that he knows his people have distorted the ways of firebending into a practice fueled by anger and rage, but now he wants to learn the true way, the original way. The chief tells them that if this is so, they must learn the ways of the sun from the masters, Ran and Shaw, who will read their souls and ancestry and deem them worthy or not. They don't sound so tough, Ran and Shaw. I feel like, uh, you know, maybe the the fire prince and the avatar can take them on. No problem. No problem at all. They're Uh. fine. (laughs) What are they like? Six foot two max. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, something I couldn't help but think in this moment. So these aardvark sloths are able to clean this like super, super sticky, almost like super glue type of goo. And I'm just thinking they have a whole room of that stuff sitting behind them. Yeah. Are they going to like unleash an army of aardvark sloths to clean that place up and get the statues unburied? (laughs) I don't know. This is always the thing about these traps that like kind of get my my noodle going a little bit. They make me think a lot Mm -hmm. where I'm like, how do you clean up? Like you, you have priceless statues in there like works of art that are integral to your culture what are you gonna do just leave them sticky or is it the only the two of them and they just like make a month out of it oh my god i know or maybe like some sun warriors who are being punished yeah oh yeah are tasked with like cleaning up that room or something that would be a fun avatar studios content (laughs) like a little (laughs) mini episode of them just being like oh man not again Mm -hmm. so funny The next morning, Aang and Zuko are brought to the Eternal Flame, fire that was once given to the Sun Warriors by the Masters and has been burning for thousands of years. The chief tells them that if they are to see the Masters, they must bring a piece of the Eternal Flame with them. This ritual illustrates the essence of Sun Warrior philosophy. You must maintain a constant heat. The flame will go out if you make it too small, make it too big, and you might lose control. Aang is nervous, but accepts his flame and is surprised to find that it feels like a little heartbeat. Fire is life, the chief replies, not just destruction. He points them in the direction of the master's cave at the top of a nearby mountain, and they set off. This I found super interesting. Aang, when he first tried to firebend, was just kind of like wielding it like a weapon. He never considered it as like Mm. being anything other than a source of destruction because that's all he's really known. Mm -hmm. And I think that like really Sozin is to blame for that. Yeah, I think the legacy of firebending as destruction, as conquering really started with him. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, it seemed like they were a bit more peaceful than he had this idea of peace and prosperity to his new empire. I'm really full of Star Wars quotes today. Anyways, <laughs> and then really unleashed it and turned this element, which is considered to be life from the civilization that like really helped bring it into the forefront, is now like perverted in a way that is unrecognizable. We talked about this back in, I think it was maybe midway through book one or early book two, where we kept on saying that like, the Fire Nation is synonymous with destruction based off of the engineering that they have coming out of that. Like all that steam powered Mm -hmm. like tanks and now like war balloons and all of it is just all fueled from this source that was meant to bring life, but it's bringing the exact opposite now. It's very interesting. Oh man. Yeah. We are not in the era of staying warm around a fire and cooking your meals to survive. We're in an era where you use that power to fuel your war machines and expand your empire. Yeah. 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 Fuel your ambitions, whether they be good or bad. That's what fire does. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Another thing about the eternal flame is um, probably pretty obvious to a lot of the world. It shares similarities with the Olympic flame. Like the eternal flame, the Olympic flame stays lit for the entire Olympic Games and is always fueled and closely monitored. Mm. A very good chance they got the idea for the eternal flame from the Olympics. Yeah, it seems seems likely. Aang travels slowly because he's afraid his flame will go out, but Zuko encourages him and tells him he's a talented kid. They finally reach the summit of the mountain where two peaks rise on either side of a tall staircase. The sun warriors are already there and the chief greets them. He informs them that what they are about to do will be very dangerous. Zuko's ancestors are directly responsible for the dragon's disappearance, and Aang's absence for 100 years allowed the Fire Nation to wreak havoc on the world. Because of this, the masters may not be happy to see them. Aang nervously tells Zuko that they can always turn back, 
They've already learned more about fire than they'd hoped, but Zuko insists that they see it through. What if they judge us and attack us? Aang asks. We're the fire prince and the avatar. I think we could take these guys in a fight, whoever they are, Zuko says with a smile. What are they like? A buck 90 max? Like, (laughs) no problem. Uh (laughs) Probably just some old geezers who like know how to wield some fire. It's fine. We can take them. (laughs) Zuko is trained by Iroh, who can redirect lightning with his bare hands. Like, how tough can these guys be? Aang is the next reincarnation of uh, an ultimate godlike avatar spirit. Like, you know. No big deal. One of his incarnations has seen something worse than what is behind those doors. No problem. I love the confidence. (laughs) All around them, the sun warriors stand with fire rings before them. Zuko calls for them to bring out the masters and the sun warrior chief gives a command. The mountain is filled with the sounds of beating drums and chanting. Aang and Zuko climb to the top of the stairs and bow towards opposite cave entrances with their flames extended. A loud horn sounds the call and the mountain peaks rumble. Aang is alarmed and whips around, not realizing that the movement extinguishes his flame. When he turns back around and sees the fire missing, he asks Zuko to share some of his. (laughs) (laughs) They bicker back and forth until Zuko's flame also goes out. What a terrible moment. You're going to meet these masters who before you think you can take, but then all this crazy stuff happens. There's chanting, there's this loud horn, there's something rumbling inside the mountains. And then the thing that you've been told you have to bring to present to these masters. Yep. Well, neither of you got it now. It was so funny. So he goes like, stop cheating off of me. Classic, <laughs> yeah. classic. I love it. He's like, go get some from the sun warriors. <laughs> Leave me alone. Go make your own. God, come on. Yeah. I can't. I love it. At that moment, the mountain quakes and two dragons burst out of the caves, one red and one blue. They fly around Aang and Zuko against the setting sun, wrapping around, over, and under the staircase in perfect mirrored synchrony. Zuko is awed, realizing that these are the masters. Oh boy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Best part of the episode starts here. Before we go any further, though, we have a couple notes about the dragons. And I've been waiting to talk about this ever since we met Fang in, gosh, what, book one? <laughs> yeah, that was book one, Winter Solstice part one or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we know the dragons were part of this world once upon a time before Sozin basically eliminated them. And Ran and Shaw are the last remaining dragons. And there's a lot going on here because we've seen red and blue dragons before in Zuko's dream. First Mm -hmm. of all, we've seen Fang, who is a red dragon, Mm -hmm. and Sozin's dragon, which was blue. We also, Greg and I found out, are going to be encountering another dragon in the future. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that. But Ran is a word that means burn or ignite in Chinese. And Sha, more correctly spelled uh, Shao, and I'm probably not saying that correctly in Chinese, but it's S-H-A-O with a line over the A, means burn or blaze. These characters can also be used together to mean combustion, flaming, or kindle. So their names are directly a reference to who they are as dragons. I think that's so cool. Yeah. In addition to that, uh, Ran and Shaw circling each other around the stairs, as we see here, resembles the Taeguk symbol, which is Korean. Again, I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that, which is very similar to the yin and yang symbol. You know how there's um, half of a circle is white with a black dot and the other half is black with a white dot. Well, in Korea, there's a symbol that's very similar in shape, separated similar to that without the dots, though. There's a red half, which represents positive cosmic forces, and the blue half, which represents the opposing negative cosmic forces. And this whole concept, of course, is very similar to how the spirits Tui and La symbolize the yin and yang. Yeah, again, balance. That's a reoccurring mm-hmm. theme. And it's not a secret either throughout the whole series. So again, we're, we're seeing it through Ran and Shaw, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something just dawned on me. So yeah. Sozin's dragon was blue and Fang was red. The blue spirit's mask is blue. Mm-hmm. He, back in the episode uh, Lake Lao Guy, I think it was, or maybe it was right afterwards, Zuko sheds the blue spirit mask never to be seen again. Now, we had always attributed the blue spirit mask to be a reference to his mother, right? Because of her acting past. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a reference to Sozin and Sozin's dragon. So it's always kind of like sit uncomfortably with me that he kind of shed this thing that reminds him of his mother. 
But I think down in his core, it reminded him of Sozin in that part of his past. That was like, again, another like shedding of that like evilness, which we know didn't really happen because at the last moment of book two, he chose to go side with his sister and his father again. But like, it was just another bit of that red trail crumb. Again, like just dawned on me as you were saying, the blue dragon being also kind of mirrored with Sozin's dragon. So I was just like, holy crap, another layer to the onion that is Zuko and his (laughs) identity crisis. I love it. And even if that wasn't like a conscious decision, because there's a lot that goes into making decisions like that, right? The design, the coloring and like a couple different things. But even just symbolically, I love that connection. Mm, So good. I hope hope that wasn't a happy accident and I hope that was on purpose. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe one day. Maybe. when When we have a sit down with break. Yes. And we yes. talk all about Avatar. Maybe one day we'll Our ask that question. Close personal friends break. <laughs> <laughs> After a few moments of watching the dragons, Aang realizes that they're supposed to do the dragon dance with them. He convinces Zuko and they perform the movements that they learned from the statues the day before. Each stance mirrors a motion from the dragons flying alongside them. And once the dance is completed, the dragons come to a stop. It is time for their judgment. The blue dragon faces Zuko and the red dragon faces Aang, both huge and snarling. Okay, so actually, to build off of what you were just talking about, mm-hmm. while Zuko is related to both Sozin and Roku, I think Roku is more of a figure in Aang's life yeah. and Sozin is more of a figure in Zuko's life because he's exactly. directly related to the, the royal family. That's pretty cool because yeah. the blue dragon faces Zuko, which is the color of Sozin's dragon. And then the red dragon faces Aang, which is the color of Fang. It's just like, so they neat. keep this consistency throughout the series. And that's why like, I feel comfortable saying things like the blue spirit mask might be more related to Sozin than we originally thought because mm-hmm. they're very intentional with like the use of color and the use of symbolism and imagery. It's just like, it can't be a coincidence. It just can't be. Or it w- had to have been a subconscious thing in someone's mind in order to get this. Mm-hmm. Because they could have just literally had the red dragon go to Zuko because he has a red scar. And it could have been just as simple as that. And the blue one go to Aang because when he enters the Avatar state, his eyes glow blue. And so, do, you know, his blue arrow <laughs> as well. Like, yeah. you know, it could have been that. But no, there was intention behind which dragon went to which character. So mm-hmm. I liked it. And speaking as a writer, you know, sometimes your gut guides you in a certain direction. And while you may not understand exactly why, or you just make a decision in the moment, Mm. oftentimes down the road, you will refer back to and link to and expand upon things that you previously built. So I also think that's a possibility you know, they made a design decision with the blue spirit mask, but then as the show progressed, all these other elements came together and they took the opportunities to further that visual symbolism. Mm. At this point, the dragons perch on either side of the stairs. They breathe out at the same time and Zuko and Aang are suddenly engulfed in fire, but they're not burned. Instead, the fire twists around them into a funnel that spirals up to the sky and the prince and the avatar stare in wonder at a tapestry of colors shifting through the flames. After a few moments, Zuko whispers, I understand. The fire soon dissipates and the dragons retreat back into their caves. Aang and Zuko descend the stairs to join the Sun Warriors. The Sun Warrior Chief explains that the Masters gave them visions of the meaning of firebending. Zuko can't believe that there are still living dragons because his uncle said he faced the last one and killed it. Iroh was the last outsider to face the Masters, the Chief says. They deemed him worthy and passed the secret on to him as well. Upon hearing this, Zuko realizes this means his uncle lied all these years to protect the dragons. Aang shares his newfound understanding of firebending. All this time, I thought firebending was destruction. Since I hurt Katara, I've been too afraid and hesitant. But now I know what it really is. It's energy and life. Yeah, Zuko agrees. It's like the sun, but inside of you. He excitedly asks if the chief has realized this. And the chief responds that, yes, their (laughs) civilization is called the sun warriors. So, yes, they have. Okay, so a couple (laughs) things. I completely yeah. slept on this and I apologize to everyone, all the voice acting notes fans. I have two voice acting notes for this. Ooh, yeah. The first one is the Sun Warrior Chief, who is voiced by Robert Ito, who voiced the Mandarin in the 90s Iron Man cartoon. He also has been in Superman the Animated Series and another Jackie Chan Adventures voice actor. 
So that's really cool. Oh my god! Yeah, he also did the voice of Mr. Miyagi in the 80s Karate Kid animated series. I didn't even realize there was an animated series. What? I didn't either, but there was. And uh, while Pat Morita did show up in an episode or two, he did not reprise his role as Mr. Miyagi. Robert Ito took on that. The, let's call him snarky assistant, uh, Ham Gao, <laughs> is voiced by Brian Tochi or Toki, I can never pronounce his name, who was the voice of Leonardo from the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live <gasps> action movies. So that was wow. really cool. I, I definitely watched those movies yep, as too. a kid. So, yep. All three cool. of them. Uh, he was also Tan from the Serpent's Past episode. He also played Shiv in uh, the Static Shock animated series. And he was also in the Bionic 6, Star Trek The Next Generation as Ensign Kenny Lin, the Mortal Kombat TV series that was in 1996 as Liu Kang. Wow. Lot, okay, a then. Of, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Also, Iro lied. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Question mark? It's like Ira has an ulterior motive to most things. And he uh, very strategically withholds information. The dragon of the West is not actually, according to Fire Nation civilization, not a dragon at all. Yep. Not a dragon killer. No, but that like, that's really cool. I would like to think, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I would like to think that he was able to learn a lot about the other cultures in terms of bending from the dragons because what I did notice the fire that engulfed both Aang and Zuko were all of the colors of the different elements. Ah, yes. So it kind of gave them like the meaning of life, so to speak in, in not such Mm -hmm. a, like a, a, like existential way, but more of like a, this is life. This is what it means. Fire is life kind of way, but life also is the other elements. So in order to really understand that fire is life, I think you have to understand the other elements at some form as well, which the dragons know about, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. And our last Avatar episode, we talked about the content that we would like to see come out of the Avatar studios. And one of our ideas was about Iroh, specifically a cute little tea shop type story, and also the Siege of Ba Sing Se, which Iroh was a part of. But I would also like to see a show that fills in more of Iroh's background. Because after this episode, I am now headcanoning that Iroh came to the dragons intending to kill them. But the experience changed his mind and opened his mind at the same time to the greater world. Yeah. And I wonder if somehow that was part of his deconstructing process where he slowly shifted away from being a general, being a ruthless Fire Nation member <laughs> yeah. to the Uncle Iroh that we love, you know, and especially if that happened before the Siege of Bossing Say, we know that after the siege fails, he leaves. Yeah. After he loses Lieutenant, he leaves and he uh, really becomes the Iroh that we first meet in book one. So I wonder, I wonder if the dragons played a part. If it was not the beginning, it was definitely a part in my mind. For sure. Like there's mm-hmm. there's no way he could be the man that he was based off his reputation and not kill those dragons, you know? So like it, mm-hmm. if it didn't begin it, it definitely was a part of it. It also was definitely before Luten died. It was before Zuko was alive. So that was before the siege of Ba Sing Se, right? Because, because Iroh Luten sent... Luten was like a teenager. Yeah. And Iroh sent Azula and Zuko spoils of war, essentially trophies when mm-hmm. they were children from Ba Sing Se, from when he was trying to get in. Yeah, good point. Timeline-wise, we know Luten, I think, is older than Zuko. Yes. Maybe by just like two years or so. I would say two to five years, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. And Zuko says that Iroh went and, quote-unquote, killed the dragons before he was born. So you're right. It, it probably happened well before yeah. the siege of Ba Sing Se. Yeah, so that was probably, in my mind, maybe the start of it, where he was engulfed mm-hmm. with this fire. He proved that he was worthy. He did the dance to Rand and Shaw and they were like, all right, here you go. Here's your reward because they saw something in him that he didn't know existed. Them Mm -hmm. showing him the real purpose of fire then opened his eyes to what has been going on and what had been perverted into based off of his great grandfather, I think, or his grandfather. Sozin was his grandfather. His grandfather. Yeah. So it's very cool. Like we... Almost, you can headcanon your way into, this is almost the origin of Iroh as we know him. I like to think that. That is now officially my headcanon. We may or may not find out more about that later. Yes. But currently, that's going to live rent-free in my brain. Yep. (laughs) 
But yes, we find out here that he did lie. He did not kill a dragon and he was the last outsider to face the masters. For Zuko, meeting the masters has shown him that the reason his firebending was so weak before is because he'd been hunting Aang. That was his drive, his purpose. But when he joined Aang, he lost sight of his inner fire. But now he has a new drive to help Aang defeat his father, the Fire Lord, and restore balance to the world. The prince then delivers two large, healthy fire blasts that reveal his firebending strength is back. Aang also firebends confidently for the first time ever. Now that you have learned the secrets and you know about our tribe's existence, says the chief, we have no choice but to imprison you here forever. The chief fixes them with a serious stare for a few seconds before breaking into a smile. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But then he adds, but seriously, don't tell anyone. Seriously, bro. Don't tell anyone. That's what I felt like that line delivery was like, seriously, dude, knock it (laughs) off. Don't don't do it. Aang and Zuko journey back to the Western Air Temple where they tell everyone. (laughs) I mean, when he said don't tell anyone, he clearly didn't mean Katara, Toph, and the extended Aang Avengers Mm -hmm. and Sokka. Sokka's going to tell everyone. Holy crap. And it's not just Sokka, Katara, and Toph. They also have other friends there. Yeah, that's true. There's also the Duke, Haru, and Teo. Yeah. Any one of them could let slip that there's an ancient hidden civilization of sun warriors and there's two dragons alive. But to be fair, maybe they didn't tell him where that civilization is, just that it's out there. I mean, they did tell him, but maybe they kept some part of the secret, I hope. Question mark. <laughs> a very determined person would be able to find them with just a few clues, but yeah, let's just assume they're super loyal friends. Yep. And before Aang and Zuko tell them all about their adventure, they told them, okay, we're going to tell you something, but you can't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Aang and Zuko demonstrate the technique that the dragon showed them, claiming that with it, they will be unstoppable. Their friends clap politely and Sokka teases them about the great dance they learned. It's not a dance, it's a firebending form, Zuko argues. It's a sacred form that happens to be thousands of years old. Oh yeah? What's your little form called? Says Katara. Zuko frowns, embarrassed. The dancing dragon. Everyone laughs. (laughs) That's the episode. That's the episode. Before we move on to the MVP and the moral of the episode, there's a couple of notes that I have here that I didn't get to talk about too, too much. Uh, I'm just going to put them right here. This is actually the only episode in the entire Avatar The Last Airbender franchise to first air on a Tuesday. Oh, weird. Yeah, because remember, this was part of an event called Countdown to the Comet. We talked about it back in the Western Mm -hmm. Air Temple episode, so the last episode. But it it is the Western Air Temple, the Firebending Masters, Boiling Rock parts both one and two, and the Southern Raiders, the Ember Island Players, and finally, Sozin's Comet. So I think some Mm. of these episodes like kind of just were on weird days because they're trying to make it like a big kind of event as the finale. So Mm. that was really cool. Something that I just kind of saw, and I can't believe I didn't think about it, uh, the Eternal Flames, which we talked about being like very like Olympic in nature and having that kind of real world connection, also are very common to many ancient religions. In particular, and this is where I have failed everyone being raised Jewish, the Hebrew Bible, which commands that the altar flame must never go out. I can't believe I spaced on that. Oh, that's right. Never. So the sun warriors also seem to kind of have that vibe going on. They also have a shofar. They have that big like ram's horn that they blow into. That was a big... Holy crap, you're right. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about that. So I'm putting that here. Didn't really forget about it, but kind of did right there. The shofar, for many who don't know, is used to announce religious ceremonies. So there's that. Also, this is something that's really kind of cool. Iroh lied to Zuko in Bitter Work, specifically, where he was like, use your rage to fuel your firebending and emotion. And he knew that that's not the way to do it. I think he knew that he knew that wasn't the proper way, but I think he knew that Zuko wasn't ready for the proper way. So he just kind of like took the shortcut, so to speak. So Zuko wasn't left defenseless. Yeah. I was going to say, if you subscribe to the Iroh is a mastermind fan theory, yeah, that was probably very calculated because he understood where Zuko was as a person in his development and that he only had his rage to work off of at that time. Yeah. Those are just a couple of things that I just wanted to say and, and get out of the way. Overall, I dug this episode. I liked the latter half more than the first half, I think. Me too. Like when it gets really into the dragons and all of that, that was really cool stuff. Yeah. Because I'm super emotional and I love things like this. I cried every time (laughs) when the dragons came out and they breathed their fire and Aang and Zuko, it's kind of like 
understanding the meaning of life in yeah. a way. It was like, I'm sitting there watching like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it was <laughs> a very well done scene. There's a reason why there's a lot of fan art uh, around Zuko doing like the, mm-hmm. the pose of the dancing dragon and having that dragon behind him. Like it's very yes. iconic, very cool. That's probably whenever the YouTube uploads go up, I'm probably just going to use that. Or maybe I'll try oh, to put like Aang next absolutely. to him or something. Well, I'll figure something out. But like, it's just so iconic and so cool and so beautiful. Iconic and powerful because, you know, when they're actually performing the dancing dragon and the dragons are flying next to them and their movements mirror yeah. the poses, like, oh my God, she gives me chills. Oh yeah. It was such a well done scene. For me, the, the pacing of this episode felt off until we hit that stride. And I was like, oh, now I want more of this. <laughs> so mm-hmm. good. So good. Well, who is your MVP? My MVP for the episode is... It's either Zuko or Aang. I'm going to say Zuko in hopes that you say yeah. Aang. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, actually. Oh, man. All right. Then I'm going to say Aang in the hopes that you say Zuko. I'm not. Damn! I got to really pick. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think it's Zuko. I think being able to admit to the group to swallow his pride up until now, which has been an adjective I would use to describe Zuko being prideful and like being arrogant, mm-hmm. right? He was able to swallow that and go to the group and say, hey, I can't do this anymore, but I still want to. And I think I know how we can get this going. Like that took a lot of guts. It's not easy to do that. No, you know, you're right. Super admirable. And able to be so introspective is that the word i want mm-hmm. i don't know well, enable being able to, to like being so introspective taking a look at himself and being like this is why this is not working and realizing it and being able to like adapt is really cool and shows how actually how much more like water zuko is than he will ever probably admit which is really or even more like air and just go with the flow yeah good point so it's very interesting. It was really cool to see Zuko and Aang team up on really their first ever mission together and first ever mission with Zuko. Uh, and Zuko didn't switch sides. He didn't seize any opportunities. He is changed. And I think this shows it. So I think he gets the MVP. I love it. I support it. You're going to say the chief, aren't you? No, I'm not actually. You're going to say Katara. I'm going to say every character until I get it right. <laughs> No, you're not. This might come out of left field for some people, but I actually think the MVP is Toph. Interesting. Reason being, um, this is kind of like like a twofer because not only was she the person who convinced the group to let Zuko in, she was also the person that initially told them about the concept of learning bending from its original source. That's right. Without her telling them that, they wouldn't even think to go to the Sun Warrior civilization. They wouldn't potentially have ever learned the origin or source of firebending and struggled the whole way to Sozin's Comet. So I want to give it to Toph. All right. I also loved her backstory with the Badger Moles. Yeah, that was really cool. That was very... um. It's very interesting because when I always think of badger moles, I don't actually think of them as being creatures that are still alive and in existence. I always think of like all of the origins of bending. You can't trace back to living things. But the badger moles, like they use them as Zambonis over in uh, Earth Rumble 6. It's (laughs) very cool. And like, (laughs) that's right. I forgot about that. I think there's something to be said about that where like, the dragons are magnificent and beautiful and wise creatures. And just seeing them just brings like tears to your eyes. Like they're so cool. And they're pretty much gone versus the badger moles, creatures, sightless creatures, which burrow under the earth are still thriving. Yep. It's really, that's got to be a statement of some kind from the creators. <laughs> earth is grounded. Yeah. Earth is rooted. Earth is not going anywhere. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's just here to stay. And whether whether or not there are people around to learn from the teachings, it doesn't matter because it'll still be here. Mm-hmm. So really cool. Yeah. What about your moral of the episode? Moral of the episode is might surprise a couple of people. Your parents and older family members had lives before you. Mm. And I think that really kind of goes to show with Iroh. Really kind of like, yeah, he had adventures. He had things before Zuko. Zuko might not be considering that a lot or maybe considers it too much when, you know, he looked like he was pretty ashamed of Iroh when he mentioned that Iroh was the one that made the dragons go into extinction. So that's my moral is that there were previous adventures that you don't know about. Yeah. And the adventures of your ancestors inform the life that you live. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I like that. Mine's kind of similar. Okay. 
Aang says something to this effect in the episode. And it's basically that you can learn from the past. The past is sometimes the greatest teacher. And we see that in this episode because they're literally learning about the history, the origin of firebending, but they're also learning lessons from this ancient civilization, which has been around and somewhat protected and isolated all this time. And through this experience, they learned the truth, the purity behind firebending, which has since been distorted because everyone else forgot about its origins. They forgot about the past. Yeah. So I think that in a lot of ways parallels to our time, to our world, because so much has happened in history that we don't think about, that we don't pay attention to, that we forget. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned in the past. Yeah, that's true. Runner up moral of the episode. If you see yeah. a shiny, priceless looking treasure on a podium, <laughs> just leave it alone. Just don't touch it. That's now two lessons. <laughs> Not only did Indiana Jones cover that, but now Zuko has taught us that. And, and I would argue also Aladdin. I think Abu and Aladdin oh, learned God, that. Oh God, you're right. Lesson as wow. Well. So uh, just leave it. It's fine. You'll get another treasure <laughs> that's not on a podium that's not booby trapped. So there you go. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that is our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Where can we find you, Greg? Well, a lot of people have been finding me recently over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday yes. evenings. Uh, it's been great to see a lot of Avatar fans come hang out. Even if we're not playing anything Avatar related, we always have great conversations and we just like get to be buddies and get to know each other. And it's, it's always been a lot of fun. Something we didn't announce on the podcast, but we did tweet it out. And I think I want to mention it right here is that Avatar, our end of the month fan mail slash head cannon slash Ahorn and I just kind of thematically talk about everything that doesn't fit into episodes while also going over everyone's emails that they've contributed is now on my channel on the last Friday of every month. So it'll be twitch.tv mm -hmm. slash booster Greg. It did move from the geek generation. No particular reason other than I was really fumbling to go live on my channel directly after. So it just kind of made sense to, <laughs> to move it over. It was it was a bit of a bit of a stretch and a little bit of a stressful time. So we just kind of consolidated everything. So it's great because on Fridays is also Phone a Friend Friday where I phone up a random friend and we talk about random questions and it's a great time. So a lot it's of people so stuck fun. around. It's, it's, it was, it's been a blast. I've gotten to know a lot of friends better and I've gotten to know a lot of new friends. So I'm very excited about those. But yeah, twitch.tv slash Booster Greg. You can find me also on Twitter and basically anywhere on the internet. That's Booster Greg. Someone found me when I was playing Apex. Someone like I was playing Apex. My Apex name is just Booster Greg. And I wasn't thinking about it. And someone was like, <gasps> like in, in not, I don't voice chat, but they typed it. It was like, oh, like I love Avatar. And I was like, oh, no. thanks. What? Yeah, but I let you down, Acorn, because we were like 17th to go, to, to go down or something like that. We we died pretty quickly. Oh. <laughs> we, we did not that's do well. That's fine. But that's, yeah. that's a side effect of BRs. But yeah. someone, oh my God, that's actually mind blowing. Really cool. Someone recognized you in a video game, random matching, mm -hmm. random teammate mm -hmm. recognized you from the podcast. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Who, whoever you are, if you're Thank listening. You. I hope I hope you had fun. Yeah, thank sorry you for you for saying hi. I'm not great at them. <laughs> I'm not great at these games, so sorry. But that's happened a couple of times. I've gone into like random Twitch chats and stuff like that, and people have been like, "Hey!" So it's cool. Thank you all. I appreciate it. That's crazy. But what about you, man? My mind is blown. I'm like, yeah. wow, we actually have people who listen to our podcast. Yeah. I'm still like in denial a year later. <laughs> anyway, you can find me online, similar to what Greg said, at uh, anything Acorn Bandit. Or also Joyson's studio, where we create enamel pins, including some pins for Avatar. We have a Toph pin and an Appa pin. And yes, we do plan on making a book three pin. Because we have so many comics that are coming after book three, we figured that was um, a bigger amount of time to get a pin designed and created. So it is coming. You can take a look at the pins at joysons.com, which is J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, or search Joyson's studio on Etsy. Yep. Yep. And remember, if you're looking for a way to support the podcast that is not just listening to it, not just leaving a wonderful five-star written review, not just yelling from the rooftops about how, how much you enjoy the show or telling all your friends and family, but we do have a Patreon set up as well, which does directly go into the editing costs for the podcast. And it's super appreciated. That's how everyone might have noticed that our episodes just sounded a lot better after a certain point. And that's why. So thank you all so much. 
Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast if you want to pledge anywhere from, I think we have $3 and up. Anything $5 and up gets you access to the secret podcast. Secret podcast. Secret podcast. We forgot to <laughs> sing it on the third episode of Secret Podcast, but it's okay because I am singing it right now for everyone. There we go. Okay. <laughs> and you also get the doodle page. We have an AMA. So if there's anything not Avatar related that you wanted us to answer or Avatar related, you can go ahead and submit them right there. It's great. We have such fun recording secret podcasts, singing the theme song horribly. And the doodle pages are really cool because I think they kind of give you like a subconscious look into what we're thinking about as we're covering these episodes in the forms of pictures. So yeah, yeah. literal doodle pages. I also love the fact that we are using, it's digital, but we're using an image of like a, God, what's, what are they called? Like a lined piece of paper, like a three hole punched piece of paper. Yeah. 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 (laughs) A lined notebook sheet of paper (laughs) as if we're in school and we're doodling and they're super cute and I love them. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. But honestly, the patrons, thank you. If you're listening to you, our patron, you are literally a lifesaver. You're helping us so much being able to produce the podcast more quickly with better quality and also giving us time to give back to you even more with Patreon rewards. So yeah. thank you so, thank so you. much. Yeah. Coming up next time. The Fire Nation Supermax. And what has Suki been up to since Oppa's Lost Days? Hmm. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.